Thank you for listening to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. This is Real Sports Talk for the Real Sports Fan, and I definitely appreciate all you Real Sports fans who are listening right now. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do me a huge favor and leave this podcast a five-star rating. That one, two, three, four, fifth, that five-star rating review will definitely be appreciated. If you're listening on any other platform, that could be iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Podomatic, wherever, please share from that platform so that your friends and family can find the podcast, listen to the podcast, subscribe, and then share it with their friends and family. I'm trying to get this podcast to the highest levels of podcastivity, and I need your help to get there. It will be truly, truly appreciated. We got a big episode for you guys today, touching on a little bit of everything. We got some NFL, we got some boxing, so the NFL, of course, we got to talk about DeAndre Hopkins and what's the best options for him. With the boxing, I'm going to count down my top 10 pound-for-pound boxers in the sport right now. And this is the start of a top 10 series. So each and every week, I'm going to do a top 10 countdown. Even when I have guests, we're going to get their top 10 countdown as well of a different topic. And this is the first one up until football season starts. We're going to be doing top 10 countdowns each and every week on the podcast. But of course, with the music playing in the background, you can guess that we're starting off in the NBA today. The NBA Finals have been set. We have the Denver Nuggets going against the Miami Heat. Not too many people had that prediction. (laughs) Not myself, right? Uh, I owe Miami another apology. But before we get into that, let's talk about the team that lost in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. The Boston Celtics, who have been in and around the Eastern Conference Finals, the NBA Finals for the past 5-6 years now. Ever since they got Jason Tatum, and they fall just short. Have to give kudos to them because I thought after game three, they were done. Remember the first two games in Boston, Miami goes in there and beats them. Game two, you had the infamous play with Grant Williams talking trash to Jimmy Butler, and then Jimmy Butler turning up in the fourth quarter, and Miami pulling that game out. Then in game three, Miami just mollywops Boston in Miami. And everything is pointing to the series being over. And all credit goes to Boston for being able to put it together and win three straight games. Game six looks like they were out of it. They were done. Jimmy Butler goes to the free throw line, hits three very clutch free throws. And then you have the epic tip-in by Derek White to send it to game seven. But then in game seven... Jason Tatum, on the first possession of the game, twists his ankle and obviously isn't right. You know, probably a really bad sprain, but he tried to play through it. But obviously, he couldn't do what he would normally do. So who's going to step up? Who's going to be the guy or guys to step up and help Jason Tatum out as he's just out there as a decoy pretty much for the rest of the game after that? That's when you look at someone like Jalen Brown. He's supposed to be that second guy. He's supposed to be the guy who steps up in that position to come through in that moment for you. And he just didn't have it. Had more turnovers than made field goals in that game. The only guy who really showed up was Derek White. And because of that, Miami got a pretty easy victory in Game 7 on the road. So, now when it comes to Boston, what's next? Do you continue with the duo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to build around? Now, the challenge with that is both of these guys are up for and have qualified for a super max extension. Now, normally you only have one super max guy on your team. But with Jalen Brown, the way he played during the regular season, he made all NBA and has qualified for that. And it's really tough to say we're going to give him a contract. I'm saying we as if I'm a Boston Celtics fan or part of the organization. But if you look at it from the Celtics perspective, they're in a really tough position. Now, you don't have to sign him right away, right? He does have one more year left on his contract, I believe. But if you're not going to sign him, if you're not going to go ahead and pull the trigger on that Supermax, got to look at trading them. And do you take a step back 
to maybe take some steps forward. It's not guaranteed you're going to take steps forward. That's where it becomes tricky because right now you know with this current team, you're one of the best in the Eastern Conference. You have a chance to make the NBA Finals. And if you're in the series, you have a chance to win it, right? And even if they made it this year, they would have a chance against the Nuggets. I think most people would pick Denver over Boston, but they would have a decent chance in that series. And no one would be, like, shocked if they beat the Denver Nuggets. But if you do sign both guys to Supermax deals, that's over $600 million in contracts just on two guys. So now you're going to lose guys like Grant Williams. You're going to lose guys like Al Holford, who's, of course, getting older and going to be on the way out pretty soon, you expect. So now, what do you do? Do you just pick those two guys up and say, hey, we'll go from there? We got our duo. They're both still young, both still in their mid-twenties. We just go from there. You have to lose like a Marcus Smart. You have to lose a Malcolm Brogdon and try to replace those guys, which won't be easy. And even if you have a great duo, if you don't have the right parts around them or the depth around them, it doesn't always work out. We saw that in Phoenix this year. KD and Devin Booker, you're thinking about just two guys on the team. They may be the most talented duo in the league. Right? But you have to have the right pieces around them to make it fully work. So that's why the duo of Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic is so potent because they had the right pieces around them. When you have KCP and Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. surrounding that duo, it makes the duo even more powerful. So would it be better? If Boston was to say trade Jalen Brown and maybe you get two or three players back, you know, it wouldn't be a crazy haul. You wouldn't get the Kevin Durant type haul. You wouldn't get the, you know, Rudy Gobert type haul that Utah got because Minnesota was stupid. But you would get a decent haul for Jalen Brown because there's probably teams out there that believe Jalen Brown could be the top guy. He's had moments where he looked like he was the top guy because. He is more of an aggressive player than Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum has his moments where he can be aggressive. We've seen it, right? He's had big games. Can't forget he dropped 51 in game seven in the second round against Philly. Like, he has those moments. He's more of a naturally gifted scorer and playmaker than Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, when it comes to his playmaking, leaves a lot to be desired when it comes to that because in the playoffs, it becomes worse. In the regular season, He's a every assist, he'll get a turnover type of guy, one for one. In the playoffs, it gets worse. He has more turnovers than he does assists. So when you have a guy like that who's limited when it comes to his ball handling, his playmaking isn't the best. Very good defender. When he does have a good handle on the ball, can definitely score the best of them. But he has limitations. Can he be your top guy? Or is he better being your number two? But because he qualified for the Supermax, a number one type contract, what do you do? Is Joe Mazzulla the guy? I thought for sure if Joe Mazzulla and the Boston Celtics didn't show up for game four as if they got blown out in game four, Joe Mazzulla would have got fired. And some people would have thought that was unfair. Like, man, he made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. But this team, just on talent alone, can make the Eastern Conference Finals. They were very inconsistent throughout the entire playoffs. Even in the first series against the Hawks. No way they're supposed to go six games to the Hawks. In the second round. I, don't, I feel like Philly lost that series more than Boston won it. And then you go out there in the first three games. And get dominated by the Heat. Then you finally show up. And then in game seven you don't show up. So I feel like they did just enough to... Help Joe Mazzulla keep his job and get another chance. Young head coach. He'll grow. He'll get better, hopefully. But with Jalen Brown, I don't know if they're going to continue with this duo. And shout out to my guy, Took from the 3 to Hardaway podcast. Haven't listened to the episode yet, but I saw a clip where he's talking about how this team has had success with these two. 
Why would you go away from that? Very good point. I mentioned all the Eastern Conference Finals, the fact they made the NBA Finals. They've had a lot of success. But now you have to look at the point of, have they reached their ceiling with this team? And would it be better to build around Jason Tatum and maybe try to get another star in there? Maybe that involves trading Jalen Brown for a point guard. Because that's one of the things that they miss in certain situations. You could tell they missed that real deal point guard. That guy who's going to get you in the right position, get you in the right set at the right time. So you can continue the flow of the offense. There's times where that offense just has no flow at all. Very just clogged as a team. And you have to really look at it as what can we do better? And maybe getting that true point guard as a second guy instead of having Jalen Brown is that way. Maybe you can trade a Jalen Brown in some pieces and some picks to a team like a Portland for Damian Lillard. Or maybe you, I would say CP3, we know that he's on the trade block with Phoenix, but you don't want to bring in an old guy who's, you know, on his way out, who can't stay healthy in the playoffs. You know, I'm trying to think of other point guards out there who could be on the market for Boston. I would have to really sit down and think about this offseason. Because you got, maybe Atlanta's ready to get rid of Trey Young. Right? Atlanta, you know, they made it to that one Eastern Conference Finals. Again, that was another Philly collapse more than Atlanta pulling it out. And maybe we thought we had their expectations a little too high because of that. And now they can restart with Jalen Brown and building around him. Maybe Deontay Murray, Jalen Brown. That's a pretty good duo to build around. And you have Trey Young added to this Boston roster. Maybe that's the way to go. A lot of talented point guards in the league right now, and they need a true point guard who can run the offense. Now, the thing is with Trey Young, he's a horrible defensive player. Horrible defensive player. But with Boston, being a good defensive team, maybe they can make up for what he lacks on defense when you add him to the mix. So, a lot to do in Boston, man. So, let's get to the two teams in the NBA Finals. Nuggets, Heat. Now, the Nuggets played the Heat two times in the regular season. You know, interconference plays only two times. And the Nuggets won both games. Now, it wasn't blowout victories. Both games were close as the Nuggets won the first game by five points and the second game by four points. Now, Nikola Jokic in both games played very well. First game had 19 points, 12 rebounds, 12 assists. Second game... 27 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists. And Denver shot very well in both games. They shot 54% from the field and 60% from three in the first game. Second game, they shot 58% from the field and 39% from three. So, of course, you're not going to shoot 60% from three game in, game out. But the second game, where they shot damn near 60% from the field and damn near 40% from three, lets you know that Miami doesn't really have an answer for their offense. And I was a guest on the halftime show with my man Cortland. And I mentioned how the size advantage that Denver has, especially with Nikola Jokic, is going to play a big part in this. Right? And my guy Ray joked about how, well, the size doesn't matter. He did the same thing to Anthony Davis. But the reason I bring up the size is that Anthony Davis is big enough to deal with Jokic and still couldn't do anything with him with his strength, his skill. And everything that he brings to the table, right? So when you think about the fact that Nikola Jokic has such a big size advantage over everybody on the Heat, right? Bam Adebayo is going to have him to start with. Cody Zeller is going to play some minutes, but Cody Zeller definitely can't do anything with him. Aaron Gordon is going to have a size advantage on whoever guards him. And I think that's going to be the X factor for the Denver Nuggets is that Aaron Gordon, his offensive game began, has become underrated, I believe. He does such a good job playing off of Jokic. And we forget he can go in the post, get his own points. If you have him given a ball and he has a mismatch where he has a size advantage. We've seen in the Lakers series a few times where he can drive, put that shoulder into you, 
he's too big, too strong, get to the bucket. He did a few times with like Austin Reeves, or if they had a switch where someone was smaller on him, drive, get to that right hand, give you a little shoulder, ease the layup. I think he's going to have a really good series in this one because who's going to guard him? Aaron Gordon's going to have the responsibility of trying to guard Jimmy Butler on defense, but you don't want Jimmy Butler on Aaron Gordon because Jimmy Butler, excuse me while I change the music, I'll just turn it off real quick. Jimmy Butler is going to have the responsibility of dealing with Jamal Murray. And then you'll probably have KCP on Kayla Martin and go from there. As far as on the other side, I don't see who you put on Aaron Gordon. Right? Because you could, I guess you go with Struess. But Struess is somebody who, size-wise, can't really deal with Gordon. I can see Gordon having really big games in this series. He's the X factor for them. We know the Koliokis is going to do his thing. I can see him averaging a triple-double in this series, winning MVP, of course. But Aaron Gordon is going to be the X factor. Jimmy Butler is definitely going to try his best to shut down Jamal Murray. And he's going to have some moments where Jamal Murray is going to be in jail. But there's going to be other moments where Jamal Murray is just unstoppable and making tough shots. That's going to happen. We saw it in Lakers series where he just made some incredible shots. Jokic made some incredible shots. They're going to have moments where they get that hot. With the Heat, they can get hot and get cold. We saw it in this past series. First three games, extremely hot. Those second three games, real cold. During the regular season, they had a lot of cold spells where they couldn't score. And the Nuggets defense is underrated. So if Aaron Gordon's doing a good job on Jimmy Butler, I'm not saying he's going to shut him down, but he's definitely going to make it difficult for him. Who's that next guy? Uh, Tyler Hero may be able to play during this series. You know, he's no longer having the cast on his hand. He may be able to come out and play. But are you depending on him to get 20 points right away after being out for damn near two months now? It's a lot. It's a lot in this series. Uh, you're going to ask Kyle Lowry to come off the bench and be big for you. And Gabe Vinson, will Bam do anything offensively because he's going to be, you know, dog-tired from trying to deal with Nikola Jokic on the offensive end? The zone that they used, the little matchup zone they used against Boston that gave Boston issues, I don't think gives the Nuggets the same issues because the Nuggets, they play a more intelligent brand of basketball. So there were times where... They would do that zone, and Al Horford would get to the middle of the zone and catch the ball. Al Horford's a great player, a very smart player. But it seems like he's forgotten what to do in the mid-range because he's become such a spot-up shooter or layup guy, he'd get that ball in the mid-range and be lost. That's not going to happen with Nikola Jokic catching the ball there or even Aaron Gordon catching the ball there because they know how to make that next play. Or they can just take that shot. So everything points to the Nuggets. Uh, I know that Eric Spolstra and that staff is going to come up with something. They're going to come up with everything. They're going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at the Nuggets. Just think the Nuggets are too talented, too deep. I didn't even mention Michael Porter Jr. and what he can do. They don't have anybody the size with enough size out there to really bother Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. may not be able to just take you off the dribble, depending on who it is, but he can just rise up and shoot over you. We saw that in the Lakers series. Austin Reeves playing great defense. He just rolls up, shot over him. Uh, if you're not, you know, really big enough to bother him, he can just shoot. And such a pretty stroke, such a high release, it doesn't matter. And then coming off the bench, you know, Bruce Brown. And uh, you also have the other Brown as well, whose name is actually spelled Braun, but says Brown. I don't, you know, I don't know why it's pronounced Brown, but... They have enough depth with those guys, Jeff Green, to be able to stay with whatever Miami's trying to do. I can see Miami trying to slow it down, muck it up, make it a real ugly series, old school style. And it still won't be enough. My apologies, Miami. I do <laughs> apologize for all the times I picked against you. Right? I was wrong. My apologies to... Miami, Dade County, all of Miami Heat, all the past Miami Heat players, everybody who represents Miami, Rick Ross, Trick Daddy, Trina, you know, Pitbull, everybody. 
But I got to go against you again. Give me Nuggets in six. Nikola Jokic averaging a triple-double. Aaron Gordon being that X factor for them. Good series because Miami Heat's going to play very well. They're not going to make mistakes. They're not going to beat themselves. But they just don't have enough for this healthy, well-oiled machine that is Denver Nuggets. All right, you heard it here first. Nuggets in six. We're going to take our first music break when we come back. Talk a little football. DeAndre Hopkins. Where should he go? What's the best options? We'll be right back after this music break. Welcome back to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Hopefully you enjoyed that music break. Going old school today, playing some Prince classics. If you're a youngin' out there, go look him up. Alright? Dude had stupid talent. Like, maybe one of the most talented individuals. Not maybe. One of the most talented individuals to ever... To ever do it. Ever do it. And speaking of talented individuals... DeAndre Hopkins is now a free agent. He was released by the Arizona Cardinals. So, meaning the Arizona Cardinals definitely were trying to trade him and could not get what they thought of as good value for him. Which I think would probably be tough because 
he's still thought of as one of the top receivers in the league, definitely top 10. There's a lot of very talented receivers in the league right now. You think of Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and even the young bucks like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and, you know, the guys who are established like Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams. There's so many very, very good to great receivers in the NFL right now that someone like DeAndre Hopkins may get lost in the sauce. But when you truly look at it, he's 30 years old, so in his prime. And last year in nine games, he had 64 catches for 717 yards. So if he plays 17, you're looking at maybe 1,300 yards, 85, 90 catches. That would still be an amazing season, a Pro Bowl-esque season for DeAndre Hopkins. And that's playing for the Arizona Cardinals. Now I live out here in Arizona. No disrespect, but it's going to be a rough season for y'all. And DeAndre Hopkins did the right thing getting out of there, right? So now the question is, what's the best spot for him to go to? So looking at the teams with the most salary cap space, right? Because, you know, I know he's probably going to sign, excuse me, for cheaper than what he was set to make. But he's still not going to be a minimum league guy, right? So you have to look at teams who have salary cap space or at least space where they can make a move to get enough space to sign him. So the team with the most cap space is Chicago Bears. Now, Chicago Bears aren't a team that you think of when you think of title contenders. So he may be hesitant to sign there because I'm pretty sure he wants to win. He's done everything individually in his career, right? He's caught a million passes. He has so many yards. He has all the touchdowns. He's done all these things. He's made a lot of money. I know he wants to continue to make a lot of money, but the only reason to sign with the Bears would be the money. Unless you think Justin Fields is really ready to take that next step. Not just, you know, a step to be better, but a giant leap. Right? Like if he's on the second step of the stairs, he's ready to take a giant step up to like the seventh step, right? He's ready to skip some steps to become a very good quarterback. And that's, that's a tough risk to take right there when you think about it. Is he truly ready to make that step to be the quarterback for a contender? But if you want the money, they have it. Another team with a lot of cap space is the Carolina Panthers. They have almost $28 million in cap space. And they have a wide receiver core that could use number one. Right right now, looking at their depth chart, you have DJ Shark. You have Terrence Marshall Jr., LaVisca Chenault Jr. So they're definitely a team that's in that space where they can use a true number one. And it'll make things a lot easier on Bryce Young. But if you're Hopkins, are you ready to take a chance on a rookie? Bryce Young projected to be great. But you think about the size thing, the fact that he's a rookie, we never know. right? We never know until they get on that field how good they're going to be. That's risky, but they have the money. Another team that has a lot of cash space, the Colts. They most likely will be starting a rookie quarterback, Anthony Richardson. He's one that a lot of people are projecting will take time to develop into the quarterback that he could be one day. If you're Hopkins, do you want to go there? They could use number one for sure, right? Their depth chart is Michael Pittman Jr., Isaiah McKenzie, Alec Pierce. So he definitely could use number one, but is Hopkins enough to, to get them over the top? I just don't see that. Now we have the first very interesting one. The Detroit Lions have damn near $24 million in cap space. They have a good wide receiving core, right? Amon Ross St. Brown really showed up last year. Uh, Jameson Williams, we haven't gotten a chance to really see him play for a sustained period of time, and he'll be suspended to start next year. You also have uh, Marvin Jones Jr. on that roster. They could use a number one possession guy 
outside guy, an X receiver, like DeAndre Hopkins. And they were one game away from the playoffs last year. They're looking to take that next step. And that division, with Aaron Rodgers being gone, with the Vikings kind of in limbo, with the Bears kind of still in rebuilding mode, it's very open for the Lions. So if you know you have a easy track to the playoffs, once you get there, hey, you got a shot. Now the problem is with the Lions, their defense was horrible last year for the most part. It did improve as the year went along. So if they can take that improvement into this year with the defense, along with adding a DeAndre Hopkins, and maybe Jamar Gibbs is the right pick. Maybe we were wrong about that. Maybe he comes in right away and is destroying that running back along with David Montgomery. The Lions could be something to wreck with right there in the NFC North. I like that I like that thought of DeAndre Hopkins joining the Lions. That could be very, very interesting. Another team that has cap space, they may have to move some things around to get him, but it's definitely doable, is the New York Jets. Uh, the New York Jets have 18 million cap space right now. Now you think about Aaron Rodgers, they already have a true number one in Garrett Wilson. So if you have Garrett Wilson and DeAndre Hopkins, along with Alan Lazard and McCole Hardman, you're smoking. You are cooking with grease right there. And this team is definitely Super Bowl a bust. So this is the type of situation, if you want to win, you take a little pay cut and you go from, you know, 23, 24 mil to maybe you settle for 19, 20 to get on this roster and take that chance at Super Bowl. And you go into a team where they can't really double team you because they got a young stud over there in Garrett Wilson. Got Alan Lazard. So if he joins the Jets, that would be nasty. That would be something that you just have to stop and like, yo, on paper, this team is incredible. Now, of course, the game isn't one on paper. And you have to worry about if Aaron Rodgers, at 40 years old, still has it. Was last year a anomaly for him? Or was it the trend of what's going to happen going forward when you have an older quarterback? So there's definitely some pros and cons there, but the Jets seem like a very good option. Another option. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys. I know <laughs> fans out there don't want to hear that, but that is a good option for them. Uh, they're right now at 14.2 million cash space. They can definitely move some things around to sign him if he's willing to take a pay cut. You got C.D. Lamb, Brandon Cooks, Dak Prescott throwing you the ball. Now, the con with them is Mike McCarthy is taking over play calling. He's not known as an offensive play calling genius. That's not his strength. But honestly, we don't know what his strength is because it seems like when it comes to the head coaching stuff, of clock management, stuff like that, he struggles there as well. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt. If he has C.D. Lamb, DeAndre Hopkins, Brandon Cooks, that's a mean one, two, three. A mean one, two, three for Prescott. Tony Pollard running the ball. Now that O-line... Gives you a little bit to worry about, but that team would definitely be a threat in the NFC for sure with Hopkins. Another team we could go to, my New Orleans Saints. 14.2 million cap space right now. Now all this cap space that I'm, I'm giving you, this information is from SpotTrack.com. So if it's incorrect, blame them. <laughs> but that's where I went to get the information. And the Saints, you know, we never have cap space. So this is an amazing development for us. Uh, and he already has a relationship with the quarterback, Derek Carr. Of course. You have a good wide receiving core with Chris Olave and Michael Thomas if he can stay healthy. But for the Saints, you can't depend on Michael Thomas to be healthy. If he is, that's amazing. You would have Michael Thomas on one side, DeAndre Hopkins on one side with Olave in the slot. That's nasty. That's nasty. With Derek Carr able to throw that ball, you know, the O-line is something that you have to hold your hands together and pray for, but that offense will be very, very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. 
and you have to really respect what's going on there, right? This will be one of the moves of the summertime, as you hear that beat playing in the background, if that happens for the Saints. With another squad, we have the Baltimore Ravens. And the Baltimore Ravens have just over 12 million cap space. You have to take a big pay cut. I know they can move some things around. But you think about having Rashad Bateman, Odell Beckham Jr., Zay Flowers. Pretty deep at wide receiver right now. You add DeAndre Hopkins. That's a true number one. Odell Beckham may not be a number one anymore. That's fine. He's still special. Hopkins still has number one like talent. And this would be the total reverse for the Ravens from what we've seen in years past with Lamar Jackson. Give Lamar Jackson's, Jackson these weapons? What? Man, that would be dangerous. Another option is the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, they just have over 12 million as well. You think about Justin Herbert having someone like DeAndre Hopkins. Now, he's already got Keenan Allen there. So that's the thing that would give me a cause to pause. They need speed. They need that quick guy. They need somebody who can really go down the field. That's not Hopkins. Hopkins is a possession guy. He can go down the field and win a jump ball for sure. We've seen it, right? The Hell Murray is a famous example of that. But they need somebody who can really spread the field for you, really go vertical. So I don't know if Hopkins is the best option. Now, of course, he's not a bad option. You have Hopkins with Keenan Allen, with Mike Williams. You just worry about the health of all those guys staying healthy, right? And every year they say they seem to they seem to have injuries there. So you would worry about that with the Chargers. Jacksonville is another option there. Jacksonville, just under 12 million cap space. Trevor Lawrence, you got Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones. Like they have a decent receiving core. But Christian Kirk shouldn't be your number one. Good receiver. He definitely proved a lot of people wrong last year who were up in arms about his contract he came through last year imagine if you have Hopkins as that X now you move Kirk down you move Ridley to the slot nasty that's very dangerous so Trevor Lawrence continuing to get better and Jacksonville should be the favorite in the AFC South next year they may have a shot the AFC is tough though but they should have a shot to be a contender next year so you look at these options of the Bears, Panthers, Colts, Lions, Jets, Saints, Cowboys, Ravens, Chargers, and Jaguars. I have to say the best option out of those would probably be the Jets just because they are in win-now mode. It's a lot of pressure that will be there, but because you have Gary Wilson on one side, Hopkins would have maybe the best time in his career as far as one-on-one -on -one coverage, getting open, being able to succeed as far as individual numbers and team success with the Jets. So if I was his advisor, I would say your top three options should be the Jets, the Lions, and I don't want to say the Saints. I don't want to be a homer. So I have to go Jacksonville as the third option. So top three options for DeAndre Hopkins should be Jets, Lions, and Jaguars. Let me know if you agree if, or if I'm tripping. Let me know, all right? We're going to take a music break, and when we come back, talk about the top 10 pound-for-pound -pound boxers in the sport today. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. And you may ask, what's popping? Right now, what's popping is the top 10 pound for pound boxers in the sport today. And like I said, just starting my top 10 series. So each and every week, there's going to be a different top 10 countdown. It could be anything. It could be from football, basketball, or boxing. And today, we're doing the top 10 pound for pound boxers in the sport today. There's only 10 spots. Let's get started. Number 10, I got Shakur Stevenson at number 10, currently 20-0, already on his resume was a unified champion at 130, and now is one of the top contenders at 135, and his eye test is what has him in the top 10, along with his domination of good opponents. You think about when he fought against Oscar Valdez. Oscar Valdez is a former champ at 130, someone who was undefeated at that point. Went against Shakur Stevenson and got dominated from start to finish. Just dominated. Are you thinking about someone like a, a Robinson Coensal? I always mess up his name. But he is somebody at 130 who had been around the champion had been someone who's right there as far as a contender, former Olympic gold medalist, dominated by Shakur Stevenson. Dominated. And his last fight, coming up to 135, beat one of the top contenders easily and showing power at 135. Maybe he's going to be more powerful now at 135 and as he goes up in weight because he's no longer draining himself to make a certain weight. And that's scary because the one thing he was missing was that knockout power, that sit down on my punches, hurts you power. He had everything else. He could walk you down. He could foul the back foot off the front foot. Very hard to hit. Super quick reflexes. You really can't name a weakness with Shakur Stevenson right now. And that's why he's number 10 on my list. Uh, can't wait to see who he fights next. I know he wants Devin Haney. But I would love to see him. If Devin Haney moves up to 140, I would love to see Shakur Stevenson versus Vasil Amachenko for one of the, which would be vacated titles at 135 if Devin Haney moves up. But we don't know what Haney's next move is. So even if we get Stevenson versus Lomachenko just to see who's the next guy to get a shot at the title, that would be awesome. At 135. There's also, you know, William Zapata. There's other options there at 135, but the next king at 135 is going to be Shakur Stevenson. And he's going to be up this list very, very soon. At number nine, I have Jermel Charlo. Now, we haven't seen Jermel Charlo in the ring for almost a year now, or a little more than a year now, since he beat uh, Brian Castaño to become undisputed or to defend the undisputed championship at 154 pounds 35 one and one he advanced just one loss and honestly when I see top 10 list or a pound for pound list without him it's kind of disrespectful to an undisputed champion who has his resume who is as gifted as he is he's somebody who I thought when he was younger I thought his other brother, the bigger brother, Jamal Charlo, was better. Now with Jamal Charlo, I know he's going through some things. He hasn't fought in two years. So we don't know where he is skill-wise right now. But I thought that Jamal was better because Jamal was sharper, sharper with his punches. He was somebody who threw more straight punches and wasn't as wild as Jamal. And Jamal has tamed that beast a little bit. He's not as wild. He still has his times where he can... You know, get a little loopy with his punches, but now he's added a little more discipline. Along with the power that we didn't think he had. Along with getting more skilled in the ring. He can fight off the ropes. He can fight in the middle of the ring. He can back you down. Doesn't really have any holes in his game right now. And I can't wait to see what's next for him. Uh, he shouldn't be fighting against Tim Zhu pretty soon to defend his undisputed championships at 154 pounds. At number eight, I have Devin Haney. 
Now, I know a lot of people were upset and thought that he didn't beat Vasil Lomachenko. I talked about it last week where it wasn't a robbery. If you thought Vasil Lomachenko won, that's a very fair opinion. But it wasn't one of those, what's going on? What were the judges looking at? It was a tough fight to score. I scored it as a draw and was fair or didn't have an issue with 115, 113, or even 116, 112 for Haney because so many rounds were swing rounds or rounds that were very close. And when you watch Devin Haney, he can do so many different things in that ring when it comes to controlling the, controlling the fight with his jab. One of the best in the game at doing that. When it comes to being able to counterpunch, you saw that against Vasil Machingo. He was able to counterpunch to the body. He can counterpunch up top. Even going against Lamachenko where he's going against a shifty southpaw, so the jab wasn't going to be as effective. He found other ways. And I know at 135, it's tough for him to make that weight. So I can see him moving up to 140 soon. I would love to see him move up to 140. And if Riley Romero doesn't have to defend his newly quote-unquote one title against Ismael Barrazo, Devin Haney, please go take Rolando Romero's title, please. Please go do that. Um, but I have Devin Haney at number eight. And the reason I have him above Shakur Stevenson is that the fact that he's undisputed in that same weight class. The reason I have him above Jamel Charlo is that Haney has names on his resume like Lomachenko. Beat George Cambosos, who was undisputed at that time, who had just beat Tafima Lopez. You can make a strong argument for Jamel Charlo to be number eight over Devin Haney. I wouldn't talk about that. I'd give you a hard time. At number seven, Tyson Fury. Uh, Tyson Fury is tough with heavyweights because they don't have the ability to move up and down in weight classes and fight, you know, for multiple titles like that, at the, for the most part, unless you're coming up from cruiserweight. With Tyson Fury, he was never going to be a cruiserweight. He's too damn big to be in any other weight class. 32-0, the WBC champ. You know, two wins over Deontay Wilder, a win over Vladimir Klitschko on his resume. And hopefully we get him against Olazander Usyk soon. But we definitely don't need to see him against Derek Chajara anytime soon. Uh, if it's not Olazander Usyk, hopefully get him against Joe Joyce. But when you look at someone like Tyson Fury at number seven, his resume speaks for itself, but the eye test, that big, and to move with that fluid of emotion, to be that smooth in the ring, the ring IQ, knowing how to use his size to his advantage, along with being slick. It's a deadly combination that no one has been able to figure out yet. Uh, Deontay Wilder almost had to figure it out in the first fight, but then Tyson Fury was able to rise up to the, <laughs> to the competition and off the campus, or canvas, excuse me, to be able to get a draw in that one and then come back and win the second two fights. So Tyson Fury, got to give him all the credit in the world and hopefully we get him against Olazander Usyk soon. At number six, I have Canelo Alvarez. Uh, Canelo Alvarez may have the best resume of everybody in boxing right now. When you think about his career and most recently he was able to dominate John Ryder. Uh, shout out to John Ryder for being able to stay up. I had Canelo, I had a bet a parlay where I had Canelo uh, being able to knock out John Ryder between rounds four and six. And John Ryder went down in round five. You could picture me. I was excited. I'm like, okay, here it comes. I'm about to get this parlay to come through for me. And it did not. But Canelo is still so skilled. Power in both hands. Can go to the body. Can go to the head. Good counter puncher. He's someone who's been able to develop. He went from a pressure fighter who can only come straight ahead to someone who can fight off the back foot, great counter puncher, has it all. Now, I know that he has a hard decision to make. Come September, who is he going to fight? Is it going to be Demetri Boval? Is it going to be David Benavidez? If he doesn't fight Boval, I feel like it has to be Benavidez. It has to be one of those two. Because if he fights somebody else at 168, if it's David Morrell or... Anybody else at 168 that you name, even uh, Demetrius Andrade, who I've been calling for to get big fights, even if it's him, 
it's going to look a lot like he's ducking Benavidez. And I know Canelo doesn't want to have that on his resume of ducking somebody. He's a very prideful person, so I can see him taking on Baval. Don't see him beating Baval. I don't see a road to victory there, but I can see him taking on that fight because of his pride and wanting to take on that challenge again. But he's number six for me because of all his accomplishments. You don't have to name off all the names on his resume. Incredible resume. He's going to go down as one of the best of all time. But he's number six for me right now. The undisputed super middleweight champion, Canelo Alvarez. And number five, I got Terrence Crawford. Now, some people have Terrence Crawford at one, which I can't really argue against, right? 39-0, very impressive victory over David Anifian, uh, the Nisian, right? But once he got to welterweight, it's not all his fault. He was with top rank who didn't really have any welterweights for him. Almost all of the good welterweights were over at PBC. So it's hard for Terrence Crawford to add to his resume as far as names. He's been very impressive. He's been able to get good wins. And from an eye test standpoint, look like maybe the best boxer in boxing. But from a name standpoint, again, not his fault. But that's the reason I have him at number five. Because the last couple years, he hasn't been able to really add to his legacy from that standpoint but hopefully it's true hopefully it stands it looks like it will July 29th we get him against Errol Spence and whoever wins that fight may take the number one spot on pound for pound number four I have Dimitri Bivol uh, Bivol man you think about the fact that his last two wins are over Canelo Alvarez and Zerto Ramirez Zerto was undefeated and bigger than Dimitri Baval and Baval was able to back him down and show the skill in that one. Against Canelo, he showed skill, but he also showed A. This light heavyweight division is big for a reason. There's weight classes for a reason. He showed Canelo that by being just physically dominating in that fight along with the skill. Hopefully we get him against Arthur Betabiev soon. I know Arthur Bedabiev is fighting against Caleb Smith in August, which opens up for Baval to fight in September, and then hopefully early next year we get Baval versus Bedabiev. That would be amazing. At number three, I have Errol Spence Jr. 28-0. The last win was last year over Yadinas Ugas. He's the unified welterweight champion. And because he's been able to fight on the PBC side, when it comes to welterweight, he has more names on the resume. Understand that Terrence Crawford has more history on his name as far as being undisputed at 140. And it just, lately, you got to go with Errol Spence over Terrence Crawford as far as the names they've been able to have on their resume. Right, Yardinas Ugas, Danny Garcia, they both have Sean Porter. But the other names matter. And because Errol Spence is on the PBC side, he's had better welterweight competition. And I'm so excited for that fight. I still have no clue who I'm going with. I'm leaning Errol Spence, which would be, I think, an upset. But I really don't know. I got to break down the tape. And of course, I'll bring a detailed preview to you guys the week of that fight for sure. And number two, I have the monster. Nawi Inoue, the undisputed champ at bantamweight, who is going up to super bantamweight, challenging himself against Stephen Fulton on July 25th over in Japan. So I got to get up early, set my alarm for like 3 in the morning to watch that one. And I'm more than willing to do that because this is an awesome fight that I have no idea who's going to win. None. Um, Stephen Fulton is somebody who definitely could be on this list as well. That's a very big fight. When you look at Inoue's resume of being able to go up and down weight classes and dominate fighters like Nonito Donaire and Paul Butler easily, just gotta give him his props. Gotta give him his props. And number one, I have Olazandi Usyk. 
He was undisputed at Cruiserweight. Now is the unified heavyweight champion after two wins with Anthony Joshua. Uh, hopefully we get him in a fight soon. If it's not against Fury, hopefully someone like a Joe Joyce or you know, even maybe Parker at heavyweight or there's some other names there for him, you know, that you can see there as randomly football music came in. That was random. But for Usyk, his skill is unparalleled at the heavyweight division. And now we just have to see him take on more competition at heavyweight. So for my top 10, number 10, I have Shakur Stevenson. Nine, Jermel Charlo. Eight, Devin Haney. Seven, Tyson Fury. Six, Canelo. Five, Terrence Crawford. Four, Dimitri Bavall. Three, Errol Spence Jr. Two, Naui Inoue. One, Olazander Yusik. The ones who missed the cut, Javante Davis. Some people are like, how could you not have Javante Davis there? Everybody on this list is a world champion. Everybody. Javante Davis is not a world champion right now. He's a secondary champion, but not a world champion. That matters. He may be the best in boxing. He has an argument for it. But I need you to take on the best of the best. Very impressive what he did against Ryan Garcia. Very impressive. But beating Ryan Garcia doesn't make you top 10 pound for pound. David Benavides, excuse me, David Benavides, right there. If he gets Canelo, beats Canelo, definitely top 10 pound for pound. He has a good argument after beating Caleb Plant, but not a world champion. Stephen Fulton, very good, very good argument to be top 10 pound for pound. You could take off Shakur Stevenson because he's not currently a world champion, but is someone who didn't lose his world title at 130 and has a chance at 135. Uh, you can make the same argument for Javante Davis, maybe over Shakur Stevenson as well. But Shakur Stevenson's been so dominant in such short time. That's why I have number 10. But Stephen Fulton has a great argument. Arthur Betabiev, great argument. Um, you could surely take off Shakur Stevenson for him. I wouldn't be mad at that. No. Unified, light heavyweight champion, undefeated, all knockouts. Has a great argument. I can't argue against it. In the last honorable mention, Juan Francisco Estrada. Again, great argument for him. Being able to move weight classes, weight classes and being able to defeat Chocolatito the way he did. Gotta give him respect for that. But just don't have him top 10. So please let me know what you think of my top 10 pound for pound list. What you think of this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, make sure you follow me on social media at the real deal WDA. That's the real deal. W as a whiskey, D as a delta, A as an alpha on all social media platforms. Make sure that you are able to share this podcast with your friends and family. Word of mouth is a great thing. Uh, word of social media is a great thing. So either way, I need your help to get this podcast to the highest levels it can get to. So please help me out by sharing the podcast. Telling people about the podcast. If you know a sports fan, just tell them about it. Maybe they check it out, maybe they don't, but I would appreciate that. Until next time, go real or go home.